This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to the Athletic Baseball Show presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. It is Friday, October 15th. Derek Van Riper here with Keith Law. On this episode, we say goodbye to the 2021 Tampa Bay Rays, the 2021 Brewers, and the 2021 White Sox. And we'll break down the Atlanta Braves, the run they have made so far in this postseason. They're surprising LDS win over the Brewers. Not that surprising. They win a five-game series, but we'll explain how we think they did it and how they will potentially fare going forward. And then we'll talk about a couple things Keith saw at the Fall League. Day one of the Fall League was on Wednesday. Yes, there was a Mackenzie Gore sighting, among other things. So we will talk about that as well. Keith, let's uh, get right to it. And we'll begin with the Rays because I I think the the big-picture question I have about the Rays is... How well are they set up to continue making runs in this division in particular? We talk a lot about the strength of their young core. Obviously, Wander Franco throughout the series looked like he was ready for the big stage. Uh, They have more talent coming up behind them. It was the young pitching that really seemed to fall short, especially just not providing innings when they really needed innings in this series. But are they primed to remain right up near the top in the AL East for the next at least two to three seasons with the young core they have and with the reinforcements they still have coming? Yeah, I think so. I don't think you can look farther than that with a team like the Rays because their payroll situation, ownership situation, will probably preclude us from thinking farther ahead than that. Do they have to start thinking about trading players, obviously, as they get closer to free agency? But that's a separate issue. I do think that uh, their young core is... Uh, legitimately strong enough to keep them in contention in that division, even in a tough division. Uh, You'd like to hope that some of those young pitchers as they mature will start to gain more bulk. will start to be able to work deeper into games, but also some of this is the Tampa Bay model. The twice through the order model is a huge part of how they work. That may also be uh, just part of how they run the club going forward. And so they're going to have to continue to structure the pitching staff, structure the bullpen around that particular strategy. I wonder if the way the Rays manage their pitching staff and other teams are gravitating toward this model, too. I wonder if there is a drawback once you get into the postseason, though, when you have to bring a lot of guys back on short rest, when you try to shorten up the roster. I guess the other way to think about it is do teams do a great job preparing their pitching staffs for playoff baseball by the way they handle those pitchers throughout the regular season? That's a good question. You know, because we saw Walker Bueller come back on short rest, I think, for the first time, first time ever in his career and pitch well. And that's not something I would like to see everybody do more frequently because there's some evidence that pitching guys on short rest may increase injury risk. I don't think doing it once is really that big of a concern, but you don't want to see them doing it all the time in the postseason. But... I mean, the flip side of that is if you manage, if you're managing your pitching staff, I guess it would be worse to, I'm sorry, it's just sort of thinking about this. It would be worse to say to pitchers who've only gone twice through the order, typically through the season, no, you're going deeper in the postseason, than the reverse, than saying, 
now you've we've typically let you go three times through the order, but now we're only going to go twice because we're just going to use the bullpen more because we have some extra days off. We can we think we can manage the pitching staff differently. I think that's fine. It's the reverse that would give me pause if somebody was trying to do that to ask pitchers routinely to go deeper in games in October when they're just not built up for it at time of year where some of them may be more fatigued than usual. Yeah, I guess I'm, I'm also just thinking about it from a roster construction standpoint. A big part of what makes some of these teams so strong in the regular season is that their roster runs much deeper than the 26 players who are on the opening day roster. It's guys who are up and down, those depth right. players. They're, they're 35 players deep, and they lean into that. But when you have to get down to 26, it becomes more difficult, especially when you're facing off against some of the other best teams in the league. But I think when I look at this core group, it was very apparent. The the thing that the Rays were missing the most, the player they were missing the most, was Tyler Glass now. Because if you add Tyler Glass now into that mix, you know, you're not in that situation, almost certainly you're not in that situation where you're scrambling and throwing Shane McClanahan in game four. Like that, I didn't think McClanahan was available. I, I thought there was almost no chance he'd pitch in that game. And if he did pitch in that game, Keith, I thought it would be really late. I thought it would be... The Rays are up, and they need someone to get four outs at the end of the game, and they just want him to come into the game and be that guy because he really is their best option, and then there's no game five to worry about. Instead, he came in early, didn't have his A stuff, and that Red Sox offense got to him. So I just kept thinking throughout this series, wow, this would be so much different if Tyler Glass now were out there. It's part of what made me surprised when they were willing to trade Rich Hill uh, midseason just because I thought Rich Hill was one of those veteran guys that you could get four or five innings out of pretty consistently and mm. being one shorter in that regard could be a problem later on too so that was the other little awkward twist uh, but this core is going to be in place for a long time it's not just wander brandon lau i know he didn't have a good postseason he's there seems like forever he signed an extension so he's there through 2024 with a couple of options that the rays would likely exercise uh, you know they have pitching for days and they still have guys that haven't debuted. Randy Rosarena, again, showing up on the big stage, right? So it just looks like they've got this core of, of three or four great position players and that group of young pitching that maybe wasn't ready now, but should remain right up there as long as they stay healthy. It's going to come down to the health of this pitching, I think, for these next couple of seasons for these race teams. Yeah, well, if Shane Boz were, if this were a year from now, we're expecting Shane Boz to be at least an above average starter. I think he's got number one starter ceiling. Um, they weren't going to have him start a playoff game, obviously, at this point. And maybe that's a hindsight criticism. Maybe they could have brought him up sooner and set him up to be able to even do a short start in the postseason. Um, but they chose to leave him down. Which I don't know if that was entirely service time related, but you always have to ask that question with the Rays, at least. Um, certainly once they got to, you know, got past mid-June or so, uh, I think there was probably plenty of argument, plenty of argument to bring him up in some kind of role. I also think, though, going forward, Baz is going to be that guy for them next postseason. If you just added twenty, what I think is twenty twenty two Shane Baz to this Rays uh, postseason roster, does that series look different? Yeah, um, I wouldn't go so far as saying they would definitely win the series because I don't think that's a thing in the postseason. I think most of these are pretty pretty close to coin flips, but I think he would be. He would make a difference because it's the thing they were missing the most. The impact, another impact starter like Tyler Glasnow would have been. So I think there's only one other raised question I have for now. Plenty to talk about in the future, but mm -hmm. they clearly have some players they could trade. And is Vidal Brujan a guy that you see fitting into the current core, or is he a guy that you see 
more likely bring them back something else for this roster? I mean, you have to assume anybody is trade bait on that raise roster, you know, just at all times. I mean, they're not going to trade Wander Franco, but their general MO is pretty much anyone's tradable at any time. Knowing how they've thought about Bruhan. I guess I'd be a little surprised if they parted with him. It would have to be pretty significant. They'd have to be getting something really huge in return. Uh, maybe that is starting pitching. Maybe that's young starting pitching. But I'd be really shocked if if they moved him. I, I could see them putting Brandon Lau, maybe full-time. He becomes a full-time outfielder. Bruhan becomes the everyday second baseman. I, mean, I think Bruhan's got a pretty good chance to be a star. So I And, and, and he costs nothing in baseball terms which would make it really surprising to me if the Rays were going to part with him. And especially even if they were going to part with him for a, a rookie or second-year pitcher who is of comparable talent, well, pitchers are just riskier. Do they just do that? I, I, I doubt it. My gut says no, that he probably ends up securing a lot of the second-base at-bats next year. And he can fill in at shortstop if Franco gets hurt again. Yeah, and I wonder if it's someone... Who makes a little more money, like Austin Meadows, who's arbitration eligible for the first time, yeah. right? You find a guy like that, a little older, a little further along in terms of how compensation works. Those players seem to be the, the prime players. They still have control left, so they're appealing to other teams, but then the Rays can go younger and cheaper simultaneously. Let's talk about the Brewers. Uh, not that I really want to, Keith, because I had high hopes <laughs> for them, but it's what happens when you get to the postseason. If you don't hit, bad stuff happens. I mentioned it in this yep. pod you know, a week ago. The regular season Brewers offense, unfortunately, resembled the 95 Braves. The 95 Braves are the last team to have an offense as bad as the 2021 Brewers to go on to win the World Series. There have been plenty of other teams that had pitching that were pitching staffs that were about as good or similarly good offenses that were just as bad that didn't win the World Series. And the Brewers became one of those teams. I think fixing this roster is pretty interesting because the things they need generally are not difficult to get. They need mashers in the corners. Avi Garcia yep. probably is a free agent because of options, and they replace him. They need help at first base unless they can fix Keston Hira. Maybe they get an upgrade behind the plate, depending on how they want to handle Omar Narvaez. But the core, especially the pitching, is coming back. And then, of course, there's the yep. Yelich question. But do you see this as a situation, because of the general weakness and the state of the NL Central right now, where the Brewers could make yet another run to the postseason in 2022, given the pieces they have and the the reasonably easy to fill needs they currently have. Yeah, I think the run prevention unit will be pretty much intact next year. Um, I agree that the things they lack are probably pretty easy to address. They need help at first base. I know Avi Garcia had a decent year, um, but one, I think that's probably not going to be replicated. Two, he's... Uh, there are also deficiencies there that you could potentially address. Um, you, you mentioned Keston Hayura, who we've talked about a bunch this year. They ruined him. Don't they have kind of an obligation to fix him? <laughs> or at least send he him to a place it, where he can right? be fixed. I mean, his swing is a disaster right now. And I saw him in the first couple weeks of the season. Oh, my God. Why did I ever say anything nice about this player? You can't – He. I don't know anybody who can hit like that. But he's especially not going to hit like that. This is a guy who used to do nothing but hit. Uh, I would imagine they would get something around, like they would have a lot of teams interested in acquiring him because of what he once was. You just may not get a lot in return for him because you ruined him. You did. I mean, that's to me, that's a huge question that David Stearns and Matt Arnold there should be 
trying to answer is what the heck did we do? We had a first round top 10 overall pick here who, if nothing else, was going to get to the big leagues and hit. And we screwed it up. We screwed it up, right? He got into our system and got worse. And it looks like it was somebody tried to alter his launch angle and get him to hit for more power when it's probably never the hitter he was going to be. But you, there's a long way of saying you can't count on him doing anything for you next year, despite his talent, despite his his history coming into really going into before the pandemic season. That player for now is gone. So I think you have to plan your roster without him uh, and figure out how you're going to address first base and how you're going to address uh, right field. And you're not moving Christian Yelich, but he hasn't been the same in two years now. Uh, Joe Sheehan pointed out in his new newsletter. You can, Basically, since he fouled the ball off his knee, he hasn't been the same hitter. So you have to figure out what's going on with there and maybe assume you're not getting the same Christian Yelich going forward. So that means going out and getting some thump at one of those uh, one of those two corner spots. But that is relatively easy to fill. They don't have it in their system, I don't think. But those are generally types of players who are easier to acquire. They're cheaper in free agency. They're easier to acquire in trade. Um, and I think if they do that, I mean, heck, if they, if they don't do that, they're probably still a strong playoff contender thanks to the run prevention. If they do that, they're better situated both in the regular season and potentially in the, in the postseason. I will point out, too, they scored four runs in the last game of that series, uh, but you know, pitching didn't hold up. And also, you know, Craig Council made, a her, the, I think, the worst managerial decision I've noticed so far in the postseason, leaving Eric Lauer in with uh, to hit with men on first and third and then having him bunt just to get the runner from first to second, the dumbest bunt situation. Most bunts are dumb. That was particularly dumb. And uh, it was a chance to at least tack on another run or two, and he squandered it. And I don't know, you know, Craig Council, I think, has grown quite a bit as a manager over his years there with the Brewers. And then I saw that. Have you learned nothing? That is the most obviously awful situation. And yet, and yet he that's what he chose to do. Um, and I think that decision... Again, you can't maybe say it directly cost them the game, but it didn't help. And this is where I think depth uh, in the bullpen in particular probably pushed him the wrong direction, not wanting to turn the game over to someone like Hunter Strickland that early or something along those lines. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't want to do that either. I was talking about it like before the series even started. I said the thing that I want to see the least as a fan of the Brewers is Hunter Strickland in a game with anything on the line. I want nothing to do with that. And it happened yeah. and it, it was brutal. Uh, but I would agree. That was, that was a, a tactical error by council. He had a, a similar kind of coin flip decision earlier in the series that didn't go the right way either. So for, for people who are not about process, especially it, you could kind of put those two things together and say, Hey, council had a really bad series. I think he had one bad decision in game four with Lauer that, yeah. that did ultimately come back to bite them. They also their, their bench wasn't very good either, though. The bats off the bench. They basically had one good bat off the bench with Eduardo Escobar. When he didn't start, he was that guy. I guess you could mm-hmm. say Vogelback or Telez, whoever didn't start, was okay as a, as a three-true outcomes, like masher type off the bench. But they didn't have a group of guys that you really wanted to get into the game who didn't start. So maybe that's the other area that they try to improve as well, aside from bolstering the corners and getting mm-hmm. a couple more bats in there. How you fix Christian Yelich, I don't know. I saw his comments after the game. He knows. It's not It's not like he's out there thinking things are great, but they had their opportunity. They had the tying run on base with their best hitter at the plate against Will Smith, and he struck out looking. So it's as much as you can ask for as a team 
chasing a game on the road while you're facing elimination. Mm-hmm. Another factor for me with the Brewers, by the way, I just don't think anybody else in the NL Central other than the Cardinals is going to actively try to get a lot better. I think the Reds have an aversion to spending more money right now. The Cubs are not ready based on where they're at and they're reshuffling and the Pirates are right. still a couple of years away. So that's part of why that path through the Central is still wide open. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Let's go over to the AL Central, where the White Sox were handled by Houston in that series. There was just there was really no point in that series after Game One where I thought, oh yeah, the White Sox are going to come back and, and win this, which is surprising because when we talked about it before it began, I thought the White Sox matched up reasonably well with Houston. The thing I overlooked, going back on it though, is mm-hmm. Lance Lynn as a, a fastball heavy pitcher. I, mean, I think it's important to make this distinction. Lance Lynn doesn't throw 90% four-seamers. There's a four-seamer, there's a cutter, there's a two-seamer. Those are different pitches that move different ways that if you if you showed a montage of each of those three pitches, you would get 10 out of 10 people who say, yeah, those were three different pitches, but the stats count them all as fastballs, and then people made a big deal about that. The Astros hit everything. Like that, That's what they do. They're a great offensive team. I, just, I think what I, what I underestimated, though, was I thought the White Sox bullpen would be a lot more effective that when you couldn't get high quality innings from someone like Lynn, the bullpen would come in and shut it down. And that didn't really happen at all. Yeah, that was the Astros are really good, right? That's the actual lesson here is this Astros lineup is legitimately great. And I know people are going to complain about the trash cans and all that other stuff. Hey, guess what? Turns out these guys are actually just really good. They're just really good hitters. Uh, many of them were supposed to be really good hitters and it turned out they were really good hitters. Uh, they're exceptionally disciplined. Uh, you know, and give Dusty Baker some credit too. I think I said this, I don't remember which podcast I said this on. It's been a few podcasts, but he seems to have gotten better at every stop too. Every time he's got another managerial opportunity, he's got a little better. He's got a little better. He's got, I think he's pretty great right now. Obviously he's been handed a great roster. It doesn't hurt. I mean, he's doing a really great job. Uh, you know, we'll be curious to see the impact of you know, Lance McCullers leaves the game with an injury. McCullers is just always hurt. Um, so this is not necessarily a shock, but how does that affect their plans for their rotation in the next series? You've got to assume he's probably going to miss the starts forearm tightness. They're saying it's not serious. They hope it's not related to the elbow injury. However, I think they probably should just be planning to not have him at least for the next series, maybe not for the rest of the month that could alter things for them a little bit. Um, but I still think they're, that offense is pretty terrifying. Um, I do think they're pretty well situated to, uh, to continue to mash. And by the way, I picked the White Sox. I picked the White Sox to win the AL pennant. 
on the strength of the starting rotation more than anything else. And the uh, starting rotation was just not that good. Was not able to neutralize the Houston Bats. Maybe that's probably a better way to put it. Uh, and a couple of different things went wrong, but you can see all of those things uh, coming into play in the short series. Yeah, even in game two, Giolito only went four and a third, which, uh, yeah. again, Houston's a tough lineup to navigate. You know, yep. Crochet, Tapera, scoreless outings, but then Bummer got knocked around. Kimbrell got knocked around. Yes. And that's like, that's just the last thing that I thought was going to happen to the White Sox, that those relievers were going to to fail them. I realize good relievers give up runs in spots like this. We just talked about the Brewers. Josh Hader gave up a home run to Freddie Freeman. Like, that. that's why they ultimately ended up losing that game in the end. That, that stuff happens, but I was surprised at the frequency of which it happened with the White Sox. Now, this team going into next season, clearly well-positioned, similar to the the Brewers, I would say, and that the AL Central still has teams retooling and trying to get better. I would say the Tigers and Royals are a little further along than the Pirates and Cubs with what they're trying to accomplish. So maybe it's a, a slightly more difficult road. Cleveland's kind of just floating out there in the middle. The Twins, I think we've talked about them recently. They look like a bounce-back team for next season. But the White Sox should enter 2022 as pretty clear favorites to repeat in the AL Central. So what do they need to do? What kinds of adjustments do you expect to see from Rick Hahn in this front office over the course of the winter? Yeah, that's a good question because I don't think they have obvious deficiencies. Like they, you know, could they, um, you know, they don't have a huge hole in the rotation, for example, that would be particularly easy for them to go out and address. I think the bullpen, despite the fact that the bullpen was not strong for them in this one short series, obviously, I'm sure there are fans concerned saying, well, we should do something about the bullpen, but no, I, I don't think that's necessary. Um, it's an above average offense. I think it is likely to get better um, going forward. Uh, you know, I think that you've got still got quite a bit of upside. Hopefully get a full, you know, Luis Roberts not going to have a whatever 440 BABIP next year. But also maybe you just get a healthy year out of him and you get more production from him uh, potentially that way. This is just a, if they could pick, I was just going to say, you know, since Madrigal is gone, they don't have an obvious solution at second base. They could try to address that. They, you know, Cesar Hernandez picked up some of the slack there, but he's just not a very good offensive player. Uh you know, there's some little things that they could do. It's a lot of improvements around the margins, uh, which is great. It's a good situation to be in as a GM, as a uh, or as a fan of a club. What you'd rather see that rather than them having to go out and make huge acquisitions. Say, you know, this winter is going to be um, a very strange one. Once the CBA, you know, hopefully we get a CBA in time to have a real hot stove season. When the hot stove season hits, then we've got a lot of talent out there. It's going to I expect there'd be a lot of aggressive bidding for some of these, especially some of these big young shortstops who are out on the market. White Sox don't need one of those. They're good at shortstop. They're in pretty good, pretty good shape there for the next couple of years. So I think the types of things they need to, they could, you know, as with the Brewers, they could be a playoff team again next year without a lot of help, but obviously they want to continue to improve. And I think the things they need to do to improve are probably relatively easy to find. And the biggest challenge of all would probably just be to find a good full-time second base option. Yeah, I wonder if there would be some interest in Marcus Simeon. They, of course, were the team that drafted him back in uh, yeah. 2011 as a six-rounder. But That'd be a good one. He'd fit really well, given yep. their needs, bring a, a, little, a little bit of a middle-of-the-road swing-and-miss sort of guy that can absolutely mash. I think any team that 
has a good offense, if they can find someone who has a even slightly below average strikeout rate, that is a good thing. Striking out less yeah. is a very good thing, especially in the yes. postseason. So I'd love to see Marcus Simeon end up back in Chicago. I think that'd be Yeah, that's a great that's a great call. He's exactly he would he's very much what they need on both sides of the ball. Um uh, I and I'm I would say, you know, I speak of all of this on the assumption that we will get a CBA and we'll have a hot stove season. So just set that aside for the moment. But I'm very curious to see what he gets being a bit older than some of the other free agents. Uh, and obviously he had the miserable 2020 that led to just the one-year deal. But in 2019, 2021, he was top five player in the league, right? That guy should get paid. So what do you do with the two young guys that didn't have rotation spots all season? Michael Kopech, I think, seems like he would maybe take the spot of Carlos Rodon. Maybe they bring back Rodon in some sort of incentive-laden deal. I mean, that's a that's a big question for them going to the offseason. Did you see enough from Kopech and from Reynaldo Lopez to see those guys as both being parts of the 2022 rotation? Kopech, yes. I think Kopech should move into the starting rotation next year. Um, I don't think Ronaldo Lopez is a starter. I have never bought him as a starter. I don't think the delivery works as a starter. I don't think the secondaries are, are there as a starter. I think he's he could be elite in the bullpen. Um, and I think he showed some flashes of that. Could he be, you know, assuming Hendricks remains the closer there, could he be the eighth inning guy that they were hoping Craig Kimbrell would be? Yeah, I think that's a perfect role for him. Uh, I'd be really surprised if Lopez... Um, worked out in the rotation. They, they Right now, at least on paper, right? They only need one. Assuming they don't ring, bring Rodon back, which it'd be in a way, it'd be kind of sad given everything he's gone through. But how much could you really invest in him given how much trouble he's had? In fact, his velocity seemed to be off when he came back at the end of the season. You may just have to decide to move on and let somebody else who can take, you know, a worse team that can take on more risk choose to, to give him a deal and instead say, no, we're going to slide Kopech into that spot in the rotation. Like I would, I think Kopech's got pretty high upside as a starter. And I, you know, I know this wasn't necessarily the long-term plan when they first acquired him, but having him spend almost all of this year in the bullpen and find some success uh, and uh, allow him to build back up after Tommy John surgery. And after he opted out of the 2020 season, it would not surprise me if we look back on that decision a couple of years from now or look back on this season and say, hey, that really worked out for, for the White Sox and Kopech. That turned out to be the right move for him uh, developmentally, having him spend almost like an internship year in the bullpen so he's better set up to be successful as a starter next year. Yeah, I could see I could see Kopech emerging to be a legitimate like good number three for them next year oh, with, yeah. with room for more. And if Lopez sort of takes over the Kopech role where he's just a glue guy out of the pen, that might work really well too. If he goes two or three innings at a yeah. time, that might maximize his effectiveness coming off a year where he posted a, a career best walk rate. It's always been kind of a problem for Ronaldo Lopez in the background. But uh, as sad as you might be, if you're a fan of the Rays, the Brewers, or the White Sox here in the middle of October, the future is still actually pretty bright for all three of those organizations given their respective situations. Let's talk about Atlanta for a moment because when you're in a situation like the one they were in where they lost Acuna to a devastating injury, it's very easy in today's game. It seems like fans are so much more tolerant of rebuilding and lost seasons than they have been in the past, right? Oh, play for the future. Trade the guys we're not going to keep. Let's be let's be better next year. Instead, they rebuilt their entire outfield and found a way to kind of cobble it together and they're playing well at the right time but they're also built 
just right for a postseason team. They have just enough to be dangerous. The top three in the rotation, one extra guy in Waskari Noah, who I think is actually a little underrated. The A bullpen is pretty good, even though the B bullpen is awful. So if you get to that B bullpen, you're going to find some <laughs> some really favorable matchups. But if you think about the Dodgers and the Giants, I'm recording before Game 5 happens. Obviously, if you're in Atlanta's shoes, you'd rather play the Giants. There's just more reason to believe you can win that series. But how does Atlanta actually stack up to a team like the Dodgers? Keith, are they good enough to pull it off in a seven-game series against either one of the NL West teams. I mean, yes, in that right even a team. Like they're they're the underdog. Yeah, like math- mathematically, yes. Like every everyone mathematically always, but like realistically, like can you can you see a similar path for them in a seven-game series against one of those teams? Yes. Yes. They'll be the underdogs. Absolutely be the underdogs regardless of who they play. I feel like we should do that thing, right? Where we cover our mouths and they're going to face the Los Angeles Dodgers. <laughs> Extra editing uh, for me. Uh, late night yes. editing. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yes, they absolutely could pull off the upset. I would guess if they do that, it would be starting pitching driven that their starters just neutralize either one of those offenses. I mean, we saw Logan Webb. um, Of course, I say this now after his (laughs) performance, right? He's pitching tonight after we record this. But just to say, Logan Webb shut down a great, great Dodgers offense. At least he did it once. I don't know if he'll do it twice. Maybe he'll go like two and a third tonight and get smashed. But he did He did do it, right? This can happen. Uh, I think the same can be true of the Giants offense. I think any good pitcher, you know, on the right night, uh, you know, if he just happens to be hitting his spots and feeling good and his stuff is there, yeah, can, can have a performance like that and shut down a really good offense. And my guess is if, the, if Atlanta wins this series – it's going to look a lot like that, that they get, you know, Max Freed. He would be, I think, the most likely uh, of their starters to do that, but goes, you know, seven strong with 10 punch outs, doesn't give up any runs. They put a couple of runs on the board themselves. And then that what you call the A bullpen comes into play and is able to to finish the job. And you get, you know, maybe two outings like that out of Freed in a seven game series. And suddenly the whole thing just looks very different. I could, I could absolutely see that happening. I will still pick whichever California team advances to win this series, but that is not to say I think Atlanta has no chance. Far from it. Yeah, I mean, it's easy to forget Atlanta had a 3-1 lead over the Dodgers in the playoffs last season. And I realize that was with Acuna. This is without him. But they've been in this position before. I think they do stack up better than people realize. And I think the other thing with Atlanta that really kind of jumps off the page to me is it's the secondary pieces in the offense. We talked about Austin Riley step forward. Freeman's a star. Albies is a star. Guys like Dansby Swanson and Travis Darno. I know Darno was better in the shortened season than he's been this year, but Dansby Swanson, I, I go back to when he was drafted, Keith, and everybody had the, well, he wouldn't be a number one every year, but he's a good player. Yeah. That was sort of the, if, if Dansby Swanson were a movie poster, that was the tagline at the bottom. Yeah. He's become more than that. And I think that's a, you know, that's a pretty exciting thing. It, it's kind of a funky sabermetric line, like 248, 311, 449 this season, but more power than expected. Plays good defense at short, can steal some bases. Like just just like guys like that seem to pop in this Atlanta lineup more often than not. I don't know how they how they do it exactly, if that's game planning they don't get credit for or what exactly it is, but 
their depth actually stands out a little bit. Well, they've had – that's a really strong – has been a really strong farm system. I think it's started to thin out now just because they've graduated and traded a bunch of guys. But what Alex Anthopoulos inherited after John Coppolella was forced out as GM was a really, really deep farm system. And Anthopoulos, going back to his time in Toronto too, has shown you know, he's he is still development-focused. He's still – they still draft pretty well. I think he's still – very much of the mindset that you, you can't ignore that, but this you can't ignore the farm system when you're contending. But at the same time, I think he also recognizes you can't keep them all. You can't clutch prospects forever. You have to be willing to trade some of them to try to get better. And I think he is willing to do that. So that's why they're in this situation now where they have depth on the major league roster. And I believe they will continue contending for multiple years going forward. It's also how you end up with what Jorge Soler tested positive for COVID. So he's out for the next series. Now I know Christian Pache did not hit at all this year. And I think there's, it's the, he's going to hit a pretty major inflection point in his career next year, where it's either the plate discipline gets better or he's like an up and down guy for the rest of his life. But it's also pretty nice to be able to pull like a, you know, 80 defender in center just pluck him from the minors because you need an extra guy for your playoff roster. Most teams wouldn't have that kind of depth available to them. Right. And if he's your eight hitter and he steals a few big hits along the way, then that works out just fine because you got everybody else in that lineup who can do some damage. I mean, there's definitely plenty of power. It's not the, the prettiest group of secondary hitters in terms of getting on base consistently, but it's guys that can do a ton of damage when they connect with Rosario and Duvall Jock Peterson. I was actually surprised Jock Peterson, the, the game against the Brewers where he hit the, the pinch hit homer, game three, if my memory is right. The, that, that was against a righty. Why didn't he start that game? That was bizarre to me. I'm like, how is he, how is he not in the starting lineup today? But I, I like the way this Atlanta team is built. They're dangerous. If, you, if you're a Giants fan or a Dodgers fan and you're happy when you, as you listen to this show because your team just won that series, you don't have a cakewalk. You, you do not have an easy path into the World Series. There really are no easy paths through the playoffs. Come on, it's October baseball. When you get injured, you don't want to wait for answers and options. That's why it may be time to explore the Nano Experience, a revolutionary treatment option designed to help active people get back to the lifestyles they love. Nanotechnology allows surgeons to see inside even the smallest joints and treat orthopedic conditions with a tiny camera and other nano instrumentation, all through a barely there poke hole incision. Wherever you've experienced an injury, whether it be a foot and ankle, hand and wrist, shoulder and elbow, knee or hip, nanoarthroscopy can be used to diagnose and treat your condition in an extremely, minimally invasive way. Don't wait to learn about the revolutionary nano experience and how it could help you or someone you know after an injury. Visit arthrex.info slash theathletic. This is not medical advice and is not meant to be a substitute for advice from your physician. Talk with your physician about your health condition, potential surgical risks, and whether Arthrex products are right for you. Post-operative management is patient-specific and dependent upon your physician's assessment. Individual results will vary. Guys tend to think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort, but it's possible to have it both ways. I'm all set for summer thanks to Mack Weldon. The Vesper polo shirt is so breathable you can wear it on the golf course, but it looks classy enough to wear to a party. The Maverick Tech Chino short is ultra-flexible, and the Pima Crew Neck T-shirt is perfect for those casual weekends. There's no need to be uncomfortable in your clothing 
ever again. Some guys just want to look good without calling attention to themselves. Mack Weldon Apparel gives you understated good looks for understated confidence. Mack Weldon clothes are designed to fit your style and the demands of modern life. They look like regular clothes but feel like the latest in modern comfort. They're the go-to choice for guys who want to look great without even trying. Breathable underwear that keeps you cool, dry, and comfy all day. Crazy comfortable but elevated sweatpants. An upgraded classic polo with antimicrobial silver threads. An ultra soft antimicrobial tee for when you need to stay fresh longer. That's the Silver Crew Neck T-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code MLBSHOW. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. Promo code MLB show. Let's move on to the Arizona Fall League, though. Keith, you are in uh, one of your happy places right now. That league got underway on Wednesday. Uh, you got to see Mackenzie Gore. And we've talked about him a few times on the show over the course of the season. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on what you saw from Gore in his Fall League debut on Wednesday. He looked good. He looked really good. Um, I think if you had just... If you were unaware of what happened this year where he had trouble throwing strikes and had to be sent back to Peoria and they tried to rework the delivery, you would say, what's the problem, right? This guy was 93, 98. He was pretty much hitting spots around the zone. It wasn't perfect. Um, but I thought, especially if you remember at Salt River, they're using the automated strike zone. And so the zone is tighter and he still threw plenty of strikes. 64% of his pitches were for strikes. Um, I thought the slider was really good. I thought the changeup was really good. I thought the curveball was less than what I remembered. Um, you know, he used to have an absolute knockout curveball. It was more like a 55 um, for me on Wednesday. But it was really good. It was just really good to see, just to walk in and see him throwing like that and uh, really eager to get the ball back and to just keep throwing. This was not like somebody who, you know, there's a lot of talk. Well, he has the yips. Hmm. Um, I heard that from multiple people. The Padres are hiding him. They don't want anyone to see him. But it just didn't look like that to me at all. It certainly didn't look like a guy who'd had the yips a few months ago. He obviously didn't, or he wouldn't be able to do what he did on Wednesday. Um, you know, I could this guy, this would have played in the big leagues. Now, it wouldn't have been top of the rotation, but it would have played in the big leagues. Um, if this is what he can be going forward, great. I still think there could be some room for improvement. I also wonder if changing the arm action to make it so much shorter, is that possibly why the curveball isn't as sharp as it used to be? That may be a trade-off you have to accept to make sure that he is able to throw strikes, uh, consistent strikes, quality strikes. Do you give up some of the curveball? Well, it sucks, but okay. I'll take that trade-off versus him being unable to throw strikes at all. Also, let's see if he does it again now, right? First outing of the fall league, great. He'll pitch again. I assume he'll pitch again on Tuesday next week. Let's see how that goes. He topped out at 98.2, according yeah. to StatCast. The, the good thing... I think that was the pitch to Torkelson, to Spencer Torkelson, yeah. to get him out. I, I think there's a there's a pretty fun hack. If, if you're really into nerdy baseball things, if you go to Baseball Savant, click on a box score for any game, and then go to the Fall League scoreboard, get the number from the box score in the Fall League URL, and put that into the URL on Baseball Savant in place of the one you clicked on, and you can actually yep. see StatCast information for for games. Is that in the all ballparks? I know that's on for Salt River. 
I don't know if it's all, but yes, the for at least for any game at Salt River, this will this hack will work. And it works during spring training. It works for some yes. some Florida parks too. So I mean, it's just one of those random things. Like, hey, how hard is this guy hitting the ball? You can actually sometimes dig in and find that information if you want to be a a little bit manual with how you find the I, why this page isn't just linked to the box score page on uh, the fall league site i have no idea I, I don't think this is meant to be any sort of big secret i think it's just sort of the that's ah, the right. fall league so whatever don't you think it's weird that this league is not made to be a, a bigger deal i mean to, to fill dead air time on mlb network and, and to grow yes. the game and to showcase prospects i mean if there's anything that that baseball fans love to dream on it's the potential of their favorite team's prospects and we have this six-week league where many of them are playing and it's invisible to most people who don't know about it. Yes. I mean, I feel like I've been saying this for 15 years. They should hype this league up a lot more. I mean, hold on, pull out the rosters. So I mentioned Gore. I mentioned Spencer Torkelson, former number one overall pick. Uh, Nolan Gorman is here. He's a top 50 prospect, overall prospect uh, in the Cardinals system. Zach Thompson, former number one overall pick, he, he looked incredible last night. It was a relief outing, but he went three innings, and it was three sixes for me. That was absolutely unbelievable. First time I've ever seen Um Hey, I don't think Yoelke Cespedes is that great of a prospect, but that's a pretty good name, right? He's here. Uh, who else? Ryan Jensen, former first-round pick. He is here. Uh, let's see. Of course, I pull this open. This is like one of the weaker rosters. Tristan Cassis is here. J.J. Blade is here. He was, what, fourth overall pick? Austin Beck hasn't been great, but he was the sixth overall pick uh, in his particular. Bryson Stott is a first-rounder. He was here. He is here. C.J. Abrams is here. He did not play yesterday. It sounds like he's a little banged up. I'm hoping I could see him this week, but I may not. Like, there's a lot of really famous, really good prospects here. A lot. Pretty much every roster has several of them. Nick Gonzalez was a top-10 overall pick. He's here. Brett Beatty, one of the Mets' top prospects. He is here. Saw both of those guys yesterday. Uh, Corey Lee, who was kind of a maligned by me included, first-round pick. Turns out he looks like pretty good. Probably going to be an everyday catcher, I think, for the Astros. He's here. Marcus Luci- Marco Luciano and Patrick Bailey from the Giants. Giants top prospects, giant first-round pick from 2020. They're all here. Like, why would you not hype these guys? Major League Baseball has no problem hyping a prospect in other ways. I mean, they see how much they tried to capitalize on Vlad while he was being held down in the minors for service time reasons. So why would you not continue to talk up some of your best prospects when they're all playing together in these, you know, this idyllic setting here? You're right. Is my happy place. I'm very happy to be back here. (laughs) Just driving around yesterday. It was just like, oh yeah. And like to be on the field and filming BP, which, you know, I used to say, I got to do this, but it's a little bit of a drudge thing to do, but I just really like having the video for my own reference. Yesterday I was like, "Yeah, this is the good stuff. This is why I'm. This is why I'm here." I'm like, for you know, for one of the very few times in the last two years, it's like, "Oh, I can really do my job, the thing I really consider absolutely central to my job, and that I really enjoy. I get to do it again. It feels pretty good." Yeah, uh, I, I mean, I can't imagine how much you've missed being able to do that in a normal sort of way because it's yeah. just it's what you do you could also do some experimental things with how you show people the game like this would be a great opportunity to mic up players or do other things i mean i realize like not everyone can be and should be mic'd up on the field but those types of things like if you want to try different things 
they're already doing it on the field with bigger bases and different little tweaks there, you know, the pitch clocks and all, all that kind of stuff. Automated strike zone. It, it's, it is a lab, but it could also be a lab for how the game is presented, getting new voices in the booth. Yeah. You could gamify it if you wanted to. You could, you could make a game show out of it. You could say, we're going to put eight different booths together and these are great young broadcasters and they're going to be the future voices of this game. And let's give them some reps and let's just see how they resonate with an audience. That would be cool. And maybe have someone who wins and somehow gets another assignment. Maybe they get to call the Futures game the following season. Whatever it is. like There are so many fun things you could do with this this league. And I almost I almost feel like Major League Baseball is like, oh yeah, we have this thing. But it, you, you walk into a, like the the gift shop or whatever you want to call it like the, where the the merch is where the hats and shirts yes. are. And it feels like a, a store going out of business instead of just like a regular merch experience. And you've got these cool logos and you, it's, it's like just such a fun experience. And it's, it's like they're ashamed of it or something. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it is. It, I mean, I actually, I think I even said this to you at one point, I was afraid they would end up canceling the thing because it's just a cost. Yeah. Right. They're not making any money from it. So are they, you know, do they do? I, I'm surprised that they were willing to just to spend the money, especially in a pandemic. It's easy to cancel things. Instead, I mean, they did. I think all the right stuff. Um, they required players to be vaccinated. Great. Uh, you know, obviously, I'm 100 on board with that. And um, they seem to have gotten play, gotten teams to send a lot of their best players. There's even some pitching, which is often a problem. The fact that this was the minor league season went deeper into September to accommodate the late start. And so there was less of a lag between the start of the, the end of the minor league season, and the start of fall league probably also helped. So Mackenzie Gore could come out and throw five innings because he was still stretched out. So that definitely worked in favor, but they just, I don't know if they just are convinced that this league isn't a selling point. I mean, yeah, you're not going to get a million people to tune in and watch a fall league game, but the people who would watch these games are diehards. Those tend to be your best customers. So why wouldn't you provide a product for them? Hey, you got the MLB TV subscription? Great. Here's a bunch of folly games for free. Yeah. You know the cameras are set up here. I mean these these ballparks are all perfectly they're they're able to accommodate that kind of uh, that kind of film. Right. And even if you have to go if you choose to go lighter on production, you can still give us a game that's watchable even from a, a basic enjoyment perspective. And again, you can find plenty of people willing to show up, collect a paycheck, and broadcast it, and do a good job and have some fun with it too, which I think uh, Major League Baseball could use. We obviously need some fresh blood in the booths uh, around the league. If, uh, if, we, if we didn't think that already, I think what happened during the Houston White Sox broadcast last week with Jim Cott's comments, my goodness, that, uh, that was a harsh reminder of, yes, we need change in a big big way you know, somebody brought booths. up melanie newman who i've known for a long time she used to work out here actually in the fall league like why couldn't she get I mean, she'd obviously be better than jim cott there are many people who do not look like jim cott who are very deserving there's deserving of those spots in the booth um, and the desire of national broadcasters to just keep recycling the same people it's kind of like what happens in gm and manager chairs we just keep keep going back to the same wells and just keep recycling the same people who look alike and sound alike and yeah you know what a little diversity in the booth uh, would create a much better product diversity of opinions diversity of thoughts i would much rather hear someone like melanie in the booth than hear jim cott make you know 
inappropriate comments and back in my day. I, nobody wants to hear that. Talk about the, we got the best players in the history of baseball on the field right now. These are guys that these are the, some of the best athletes in the world playing at the tops of their games. If you can't find good stuff to talk about while broadcasting a playoff game, step aside. Yeah. It's definitely time for those changes. I'm totally on board. You're absolutely right. Melanie and, and plenty of other new broadcasters who have emerged in the last few years are much more deserving of those opportunities. That is going to wrap things up for this episode of the Athletic Baseball Show. Before we go, Keith, what's uh, what's on the menu for today? What's, what's your next food stop? I think today's going to be Matt's Big Breakfast. I have three favorite breakfast places I go to when I'm out here. Um, I've been out for folks who don't know. I've just been doing two two decent-sized trips to Arizona every year for basically forever, spring training and then fall league. So it's the Hillside Spot, Crepe Bar, Matt's Big Breakfast. Today will be Matt's um, because I have to head across town to Surprise, and so that's the one of the three that is in that direction. Um, and i got to hit Cartel Coffee. Uh, it's my favorite coffee spot. I'll probably go there multiple times. There's also one in the airport. Um, I generally buy a bag of their beans before I head home. Um, they and Crepe Bar are my two. Crepe Bar has in-house and in-house coffee program so they're fantastic for that um and then i actually don't know what i'm doing for lunch apparently there's the 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 people that know some of the some of the scouts and media people who live out here say it's tacos calafia out in surprise mm. i think that's the name i'd never heard of it surprise is usually kind of a wasteland um there's a really good vietnamese place out there called saigon kitchen but other than that there's not much to eat if, other than chains um so i might end up checking that out and, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, I'm only out here for a couple of days. It's almost frustrating. I have more food places I want to go to than I have available meals. Yeah, Matt's Big Breakfast is kind of a, a must-hit. Definitely one that you've maybe heard of if you watch a lot of, of food shows, too. But it's legitimately yep. really good. And Hillside Spot, a little more under the radar. I think I checked that out a few years ago when I was out there because of your blog. And the chilaquiles there, that's that's my that's, that's my go-to. That's what I want. If I, uh, I never order anything else. It's so good. Yep. Chilaquiles Verdes over medium, side of hash browns. Yeah, We're good. fantastic. Well, enjoy the games out there, Keith. Uh, on Twitter, of course, he's at Keith Law. I am at Derek Van Riper. And everybody out there, enjoy the rest of the postseason games between now and the next episode. Of course, the Athletic Baseball Show is back on Monday. Have a great weekend. <laughs>